Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? very well. And yourself, Grant? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well myself. Thank you very much for asking, as the phrase goes. Yes. Well, I am super excited about today's episode. I know I'm excited about every episode, but this one has been in the making for some time. We've had discussions on and off as this project has unfolded and developed and now come to fruition. And I would like to introduce the three directors of TUI Foods, Peter Taitoko, Tony Cartwright, and Mike Nagorka. Now, TUI Foods, it's a new company, but these three have enough experience in their respective fields to mean the company has a gravitas and potential for impact greater than many well-established businesses that we know. The three have come together to fix what is widely accepted as Australia's broken food chain. We waste millions of tonnes of food every year. We have more people living with food insecurity than ever before, including over 1.2 million children not having enough to eat in 2021. And on top of that, the foundation of our food system, our primary producers, are routinely having to discard up to a third of their crops, essentially because they're not pretty enough. So if you think, apart from the waste in regards to that that 30%, think about the financial implications of that for the producer. It's staggering. Put simply, TUI has developed a new food chain model. So let's get this conversation started to find out how. Welcome, the three of you. Thanks, Kim. Thanks Thanks, for having us. Good to be here. I'm so excited and I'm going to try not to talk very much because when I get excited, that's exactly what I tend to do. Uh, But let's start with you, Peter, and let's look at the genesis of TUI Foods. How did it come about? Thanks, Kim. Uh, I guess I'll try and condense 30 years of uh, observations and experience in the food industry into 90 seconds. Um, Look, having spent a lot of those years designing, building food manufacturing facilities and working on capital and R&D projects for anywhere from startups to multinationals, um, it's, it's well known in the industry the amount of waste that we see, not just waste with food and water, for example, but labour, time, energy, money, etc. So one of the things that we identified was because we'd spent a lot of time designing process equipment, for example, that takes imported ingredients to go into Australian food products, whether it's for domestic or export supply, is that we also have an understanding of how to come up with the processing technology to actually convert those ingredients locally. So uh, that idea was, you know, our backroom engineers at RMR Process would start looking at conversion equipment technology, drying technology, uh, and then it was a matter of, you know, where do we find those products? How do we look at maybe an import replacement model? Uh, that's been an idea on the go for a few years now. And then a few other things happened, which is 2018, the labelling laws changed, of course, and companies were then required to um, display on their labelling, on their packaging, what percentage of ingredients were imported versus um, the percentage of ingredients that were locally supplied. 
it was at that point we had a lot of brand companies coming to us and asking us if we knew a where to find the ingredients and b how to manufacture or produce or convert those ingredients. Um, so we looked at the opportunities for that to start replacing imported food and beverage ingredients and also for nutraceuticals. Right. And Tony, you've got a massive background and history in the FMCG space. Tell us a bit about that and and what you were seeing in terms of global food trends and, and where the market, you know, was heading or what, what you were seeing play out. Thanks, Kim. Well, I'm not quite as old as my two fellow directors, <laughs> but I have significant number of years uh, in FMCG. So I've been very fortunate over uh, over let's say plus twenty years is a is a good number, uh, and I've primarily worked with large multinationals, primarily primarily in FMCG, and I've had the fortune to be able to work in countries such as the US, the UK. Europe, Hong Kong, Thailand, and Colombia, to name a few. So, you know, I've gained significant global contacts and experience. And I kind of guess my superpower, if I believe that everybody has one, but my superpower is being able to take brands global. Um, And then just before I came um, to TUI, which was a a separate story by itself, is I was actually with um, the tea business T2, who are part of the Unilever uh, organization where I was the global wholesale director and and it's there where I had the, the fortune to meet Peter um, and I kind of guess Kim just before I kind of go on to the point around uh, you know the trends that we're seeing a lot of people ask me you know why you were with a company such as Unilever and a great brand such as T2 why did you actually make the jump and come coming over to TUI and uh, you know, f- for me, it was it was very very simple actually. You know, I I'd um, I'd met with Peter. You know, we we were we kind of uh, met through friends outside outside of work when I first came into Australia, and I kind of guess the knowing kind of Peter as as I do, the opportunity came across to have a chat with him about uh, what to he was and and what that was about, and you know, I soon came to uh, value respect, and uh, you know, Peter's such an inspirational guy. Uh, that it was a really easy decision to make, and 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 just to kind of live those core core values that myself, Peter, and Mike have kind of come through is is something that I are really really dear to my heart and the culture. And I think I think the biggest thing is definitely around culture. I think it's the I think it what kind of underpins a business. And have worked with businesses that have a really good culture. I've worked with businesses that have a really bad yeah. culture. <laughs> And I just didn't want to be a business that just ticks a box. So part of the pull really for me was actually being able to come into a business at the very, very start, actually set the culture. Right. And actually determine it's a pretty, what that looks like. Yeah, it's like. a pretty unique opportunity, isn't it, to be to be able to do that? Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the second part of your, of, of your question, Kim, I mean, just in terms of that whole, um, the whole potential that, that, that we can see, is we've obviously got a big domestic uh, market opportunity that that sits with here, within Australia, uh, but we actually see our biggest opportunities that sit around export, primarily to the um, to the premium spaces that sit across in China, Asia, Middle East, and then India. We're seeing all enormous per capita growth, um, and it's a great opportunity for us that sits across um in, in in that space and 
I think also with the uh, with you know we've been living through uh, this pandemic called COVID that I think everyone is glad to see the back of if 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 we ever will. But that's certainly changed people's behaviours and uh, and that their buying patterns. Um, we know. Uh, that around 60% of international consumers are concerned with food waste. And we're seeing that globally. And if we actually pinpoint it to what we believe is a, one of our important markets, which is China, we're still seeing this brand Australiana, which is so, so strong. Actually, you know, Australia is the number one health, uh, health food and nutritional country of origin for our Chinese imports. Uh, USA is actually number two, but we're seeing a 67% year-on-year growth. And you only have to look at, yeah, and, and you only have to look at brands such as Chemist Warehouse, who are actually the number one brand on Tmall that sits across in, in China. And, and I think it comes down to that trust value of what people are seeing. And, and brand Australiana has got such provenance and mm. such trust that sits mm. behind it. I think um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to do another whole episode. I think about a geopolitical sort of situation in terms of our exports and and trade relationships, uh, particularly in in food products, um, because it seems to it's almost changing by the hour. It feels at the moment. Um, okay, so look, so Peter's covering off on sort of equipment and the processing and and all of that sort of manufacturing aspect. Tony's bringing to the table that wealth of um, brand and marketing background in terms of contacts into the around the world and export opportunities. And then Mike, hello. <laughs> How are you going, Kim? And then, and then Mike is rounding out the picture with probably the most critical component <laughs> of the initial model, which we are all getting to, people. The reason why I've done this is uh, because I want everyone to get an understanding of how this company has been built from these three sort of pillars of experience and insight into a real passion and determination to change something that's really broken for the good. So uh, we we are so close to getting to what... Tui Foods is and what the model looks like, but you need to meet Mike first. Mike, tell us about what you're bringing to the table and uh, your background. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, um, I've been a uh, a farmer all my life. I'm a fifth generation farmer, and the Nagorkas came in in the uh, uh, mid 1800s, 1876 to be exact, is when the Nagorkas came in, and uh, we've been innovating ever since um, since since we came to Australia. So. There's a huge history there of innovation, especially through my grandfather and my father, James. Uh, And that came in through um, stepping outside the square. And as far as the manufacturing side go, I was very fortunate to travel the world, um, building uh, and commissioning a lot of concept design engineering type of pieces of machinery for, for a lot of the large national companies. And... Not only that, having a farming background at the same time enabled me to look globally of how people farm and what can we do back home. So that then led to a whole new concept of what can I do with my farm. So 25 years ago, we put 75% of our farm into organic status. And back then, I was seen as a greenie or a tree hugger in my local area. And... 
people are saying, you know, what are you on? What are you doing? But that changed the whole way that we looked at the food chain, not just from a soil health point of view, but what can we grow with great nutrition, um, you know, something that has a, a real change for people's lives. So primarily we got started on the flax industry and that's now grown out into a whole range of cereals and so forth and also looking at what we farm, what is uh, left behind in the fields, what aren't we using and what can we do moving forward. So having coupled up with uh, with Peter, with his know-how on processing and so forth, we've now captured all of our waste product on the farm, even including some of the stubbles, which are going to be generating sources of power and heat. So we're now right at the forefront of my dream is how can I do it and where can I go? Uh, so coupled up with that now, we've closed a whole circle on what we can do from a production point of view in any rural area and then also take that to global markets. Which is just, I mean, essentially that sort of that circular, that circular model is just the promised land, isn't it? That's what everyone is trying, is trying to attain. Frankly, yeah, it's, it, it's, to me, it's the holy grail of what a, everyone should be doing. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, you, you. A lot of people sit in their comfort zone when they're farming. Not everything works. You know, we, we probably grow 10 or 12 different commodities. What can you do with it? Where does it go? But driven into not just health food, but as Tony mentioned, you know, nutraceuticals, cosmeceuticals, all of the oils that we produce here, all of the dry powders with soluble fibre and all that sort of thing and, and the ingredients and the markets that they can be used in is just endless. Mm. Okay, so... Pete, if we can come back to you, and obviously Tony or Mike, feel free to chime in. What were the critical issues that you wanted to address in coming together the way that you have? Well, the, Tony refers to it as a as a basket of, of problems, and it's it's it does. And, and Tony can talk to this a little bit more. But the from a, I guess from a processing and on farm. So in the in the food industry, we look at um, if if you can make it you've got to be able to sell it. If you can sell it, you've got to be able to make it. And uh, I can make it, Tony can sell it. The big part of the puzzle was we've got to find someone that can grow it. And this is where Mike and his family and their experience and expertise come into it. And that's, for me, that's the most exciting part, Kim, because I've been doing food manufacturing and processing you know, my whole career now and Tony's been selling stuff all over the world his whole career now but for that to come together with the farmers that we can as to Mike's point of um, looking at the soil what can we grow in it how do we protect the soil so when everyone talks about uh, paddock to plate for example we talk about microbiomes in the soil to microbiomes biomes in the human gut and then how do we connect, you know, then, then we connect the agronomist with the nutritionist. And we start, when we start working from those ends back to the middle and then the process engineers get, you know, working and our in-house scientists that we've got, we've got food scientists on staff that when we all get our heads together, I guess where we first think we're going to send an ingredient ends up in a completely different place. So how do we um, how do we commercialise that? You know that's what we've got to we've got to work through those um, ideas. The the issues that we had to try and solve for me one of the biggest ones was we wanted to be globally competitive with the ingredients that we sell. Now how do you do that in Australia? So 
you know, for years I've been hearing that manufacturing disappears offshore because labour costs and what have you. Um, that's wrong in my view. It uh, disappears offshore because of the high capital cost to establish these processing facilities in the first instance. So our first nut we had to crack was how do we build something cost effectively that we can put on the farm and we've done that. So the first facility is now complete to do oat milk syrup ingredients and the equipment's going into that. Now, we don't buy equipment out of um, out of Europe, for example, for it. We have it all designed and built locally. We've got all the smarts in Australia to be able to pull this off. We've got all the cap- capability in Australia to pull this off it, without fail. So that was a that was a big one to solve. And then finally was how do you com- how, how do you keep your conversion costs down? How do you compete if labour is an issue? It's actually the cost of energy that. It is what makes it very difficult for manufacturers these days. So as Mike, Mike pointed out before, is what if we had access to farm assets such as stubble left over to drive, um, you know, um, boilers, for example, that can provide heat to the facility or what if we could put a small modular anaerobic digester on site that could take some of the uh, byproduct from the foods that, that are produced to running that so that we could get heat back into the drying equipment that's on site. So this is what the process engineers in the back in the back rooms are, are all working on. Uh, and this is where we're very lucky, Kim, is that you don't often get access to truly talented process engineers, food scientists, MPD scientists, agronomists. And I guess that really is the key to TUI is, is getting all of these you know, smart people in a room um, and I'm very happy to be the, the 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 least smartest person in the room every day of the week. I always remember these guys. I always are, remember. I think it was Lindsay Fox who was saying, you know, I'm not I'm not the smartest you know person in the room. I'm not the one with the business vision. I just hire the people who've got the smarts to do all that. And I was like, oh, I was quite young when I heard him say that. And I was like, oh, so that's how it works. I see. <laughs> that's what annoys my engineers when I give them a problem to solve and they and they start scratching yeah. their heads and they ask me. If I know how to solve it, I say, <laughs> I only came up with the problem or I only came up with the idea. That I pay you guys to solve these problems. Tony, Peter just talked about this uh, basket of problems. I love that. That's like my household. Uh, tell me what are some of those, what are some of the other factors that are in that basket? What are the some, some of the other issues? Yeah, sure. So in terms of the, the basket, so, you know, it primarily comes from, uh, our experience over a number of years, you know, Peter's, I, I'm, I'm going to say 30, 35, I seem to age him by five years every time I tell the story. But let's just say plus plus 30 years and obviously my experience globally and also Mike's as well. And, you know, we kind of segregate the, this between the farmer, the brands and the consumer. And I kind of guess the top couple from each would primarily be, and they, these are well documented in terms of, you know, an average Farmers are seeing about a 30% loss due to it being the wrong shape or size. So what does that mean? So perfectly good nutrition is going into the ground or into cattle feed. Um, so which obviously means that there's a an environmental issue that comes out of there as well. Uh, and in terms of the, the farmers, I think the biggest opportunity or the biggest opportunity that, that we believe that we can give them is, is to actually being able to participate further up the value chain. In terms of the brands, uh, you know, a lot of the brands still across Australia are using that trust halo of the brand Australiana. Uh, and certainly from 2018, 
when I think Peter mentioned earlier, when the labeling legislation came in and said how much Australian ingredients that you had to have, you know, there's certainly been a high demand now that's certainly come into Tutui of how can those brands be able to uh, increase what that looks like. And it's primarily being consumer driven. And the consumers, what we're hearing from the consumers is that, and there seems to be still that lack of trust with international imported ingredients from China and Eastern Europe. And what what we're seeing, Kim, is people now just don't want to pop a pill and and you know and say I'm, I'm I'm healthy. People are actually starting to change their lifestyle and they actually want to get healthy uh, through health and nu- nutrition and, and supplements. And I think that's where Tui has a huge opportunity and a and a big um, and a big role to play. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Mike. Yeah, I just, uh, it, it's interesting how things have changed over the last three to four years. The amount of people that call now wanting not just Australian produce, but they they want to know where it comes from and they want to know the whole backstory. So what am I eating? Where does it come from? That's just been so prolific. And I've never seen that in my lifetime in such a short period of time. Yeah, actually, quite something that, that was quite amusing. I don't think it was very amusing for uh, for us as a group and both Pete and Mike as well. But it got to a point, um, I kind of guess, where Tui was starting to become more prevalent in the market that we had to actually switch our social media off. We were just being inundated with brands globally actually saying, we're actually seeing what you guys are doing. So we kind of had to switch it off for... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of Not, time, but I know that at the start, Kim, this is something that you've been waiting for. We've all been waiting for, and yeah, off we now look go. At that. Tony proved that he can sell it. Now it's up to Mike and I to work out that we can grow it and, and make it. <laughs> well, Can't wait. I love Can't it. Wait. Like, look, not only are you guys just changing the whole food, you know, the whole food supply system, you're like your wellness influencers. <laughs> I now I want a re- now I want a reality show with the three of you. <laughs> It's all good. I mean, I mean, all, all, all of the inner you know, wellness and all that sort of thing is fantastic. But to keep Tony looking good with all of the, um, you know, nutraceuticals and cosmeceuticals, look at him. I know, you right? know well, the everyone three of, wants the three it. of you are positively glowing. I mean, if, if you know, if the listeners could see you all, it's like, uh, I. I Ah, so it's it's not it's not just about food, all right. So we've got you know a lot of the products that the scientists are working on for going into cosmeceuticals. So it's food, it's produce that's grown in Australia, and and they'll break it down to what are the mic- molecules in that in those in that produce that we can extract and turn it into something of of greater value that gives health benefits or skin benefits, um, for example. And th- this is what's truly exciting is that we're moving into an area where we're saying we're not just making ingredients for the food industry it, it's it's actually what can we do with Australian grown produce and a lot of it goes also into the uh, indigenous uh, ingredients as well uh, there are a lot of opportunities there so we're, we're doing a lot of work in the background with um, some really cool people in that area uh, to get some benef- benefits as well back into the into the remote uh, indigenous communities which is really strong as part of our our drive is to is to is to give something back there as well okay the model what does it look like what's happening you're on a you're on a you're on a property you're growing these crops or these what happens i kind of guess so from a from a tui point of view you know tui stands for the upcycling initiative and we believe um that our role to play in all this is that we see ourselves as being the conduit between the farmers the brands and the consumers 
And what we've actually created is this TUI ecosystem. And part of that ecosystem is our joint, joint venture model. So from a farming point of view, you know, we help Australian farmers secure their long-term future through joint venture partnerships. So let me go into the details on that, Kim. So we, so we create a joint venture with the farmer on a 50-50 partnership. Um, and so when that JV is then created, the JV purchases the, the crops or the veggies. Um, and in terms of that could be uh, the waste, it could be cover crop or it could be primary crop, uh, given obviously the size of, of the markets that we play in. Um, and so what we're doing is we're creating an incremental revenue stream in some instances, whether if, if that's the waste crop. Um, we then, from a joint venture point of view, we ask the farmer uh, for a shed, if they've got an empty shed or a space on the farm. And prime, a, a lot of the times, Kim, it's some, a building that isn't being used. So the joint venture actually pays them rent. We pay them a fair value rent. So once again, another incremental revenue stream. Um, and then what we do from a TUI point of view, and this is helped by our sister company, RMR Process, who are our engineering partners, is that we actually convert that space into a food grade food food facility. Um, so that's on the farm. Then, You're doing that on the farm, on the property. Absolutely. So it's it, it comes out of the field. It'll travel a very, very short distance, a couple of hundred yards, and it's straight into our food grade facility. Um, so in terms of from a TUI point of view, where, where we've got the experience through RMR and uh, been able to kit that out into a food grade food facility, um, the JV then pays TUI an operating lease uh, for what that looks like. Um, and then the JV pays TUI a small margin for sales generation um, and the marketing content which comes out. But here's the best bit, Kim, and here's here's a kind of guess the, the piece where the farmers go, can you just repeat that last line <laughs> that you said to us? And that's often the case of that when the JV then sells it to the end customer, partner, is that that revenue actually gets split 50-50 between TUI and the farmers. So if we actually split that down in terms of a summary, we're creating an incremental revenue for primarily their, their food waste. We're creating the incremental revenue for an empty space that they could have that they're not getting anything for. If they're planting cover crops, which we'll come on to shortly, they get another incremental revenue stream. And then they're able to play further up that value chain is they're actually able to take 50-50 of that end profit, which we sell to the end customer. And you know, I, and it, it, it's definitely a case of that it's, is this too good to, to be true? And you sometimes have to go through multiples of those conversations until you show them the model. And I think the biggest justification we've now got for that is, hey, we've bought ourselves a farmer or a farmer's invested in TUI. And that's what kind of my, my beliefs in it. So it's a really good justification for the model and it gives us a lot of credibility. And I think, Tony, that's, um, I think to many farmers, that's where the chain was broken. A lot of farmers have got produce and they don't really know what to do with some of the waste and so forth. So that really does break down the gap between uh, not knowing how to put it into a food and, and, and the market. And that's what I was really attracted to with some of the waste and cover crops that we have. What do you do with it other than turn it in for green manure or, or and, and how can I value add to that? Because every farmer at the moment with the cost of, you know, fuels and land and wages and so forth, they're, 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 there's a, becoming a, you know, we're ever tightly being squeezed to make a dollar yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what you're hearing when you're going to other farmers, I imagine, Tony. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the farmers are just one part of that. They're probably, you know, I, I don't want to say farms are more important than brands and they're more important than consumers, but the farms are the heart of what we do. But in terms of the brands them, themselves, you know, I can just give you some, um, I can just give some context into what we're hearing and what we're seeing, particularly with the brands that, that, that we're working with. And I think it kind of go, goes back to that labeling le- legislation that we've talked about a couple of times now. And what, what the brands are actually saying to us now is historically um, the real estate on their labeling has been something that you can never go anywhere near. And it's a, it's a highly protected endangered species almost. And when we're now at a point where the brands are actually coming to us and saying, we'd actually like to give you half of the labeling and the real estate on our packaging. So you can actually talk about where this product's from. So this product is from your farm and the, the foothold of the Grampians in healthy soil. You've got sunshine, you've got rain. So that providence and the backstory is something that the brands see as in really high value. And once again, that, that goes back down to purely that the consu- it's consumer driven and the consumers are seeing that there's a highly amount of trust that goes through. So all of a sudden, going back to the farmers, they're also getting free global marketing that they're now appearing on packaging all over the world. The brands are getting that providence and backstory and the end consumers actually get a really good view of, of a sense that they know exactly where this product yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, Peter, do you want to add to that? I think, um, Kim, it's important also th- to think about when we've, we've now got some visibility of what the demand looks like on a global scale from a lot of the brands and it's to the point where it's moved beyond just capturing the farm losses to the point where the farmers will be planting out full uh, crops just to, for us to be able to convert into uh, into ingredients. So, you know, the the change in those labelling laws will be significant if we get it if we get it right and we get the support from uh, from the right areas of of government, for example. But it's it's still it's still got to be industry led, which is exactly what we're aiming to do. So, so if we're then looking at this model that's being built on a farm and and that you know these are the processes that are being incorporated into that. What's then the potential in terms of scale and uptake? What does what does that look like? Yeah, Kim. So in terms of our model and our future uh, projections and forecasting, our plan is to have between 10 and 15 farms on our JV2E model over the next three to five years. And that's basically covering the majority of the states across Australia. And a lot of that will be dri- driven by trends in terms of whether that be fruit or it be veggies, or whether it be indigenous fruits, I think, like, like Pete mentioned earlier. So that's really kind of our our plan in terms of how we grow in terms of our farm scale. In terms of domestic, I, th- I think I mentioned earlier that there is there is a sizable market from a domestic point of view, uh, but we really see um, a great opportunity um, to take brand Australiana through into some of the export markets and like I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we are partnering with global brand owners, uh, particularly in terms of China and India and the Middle East, who have multiples of brands who, who are now demanding this brand Australiana. So I think the conversations were quite far down the line with these and they're, they're now real significant op- opportunities. And they obviously translate then through into India and China. In terms of China, we know that there's a 
there's a real drive in terms of health, health and wellness, like I mentioned I mentioned earlier. In terms of India, that's I, th- I think people are, are certainly forecasting that that's going to be the next really big kind of play in terms of nutraceutical and pharmaceutical. And one of the reports that we read recently was that nutraceutical sales actually overtook pharmaceutical last year for the first time. Oh, wow. Wow. So so we can see that there is a a huge opportunity um, that sits across there. And then in terms of our plans of picking up this model and and expanding it even even further due to our, our connections across the UK, US and Europe, um, we're certainly uh, ambitious to, to take to it to the rest of the world. And another one of the uh, another one of the astonishing uh, facts around the opportunity that we've got is uh, we obviously talk about upcycling and taking taking farm loss. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment is due to the significant demand that we're seeing in terms of TUI, there's actually not enough farm loss to actually cover the size of the demand that we're seeing from our global partners. So we're actually taking the farm's primary crop uh, within there as well. So, yeah, it isn't just around the upcycling. It's not just about cover crops, but we're actually taking their primary crops as well due to the size of the demand that we're seeing. And again, I guess our uh, our opportunity or our challenge uh, across the business is certainly being able to um, being able to to meet this growing demand. And you know, we see that as a as a massive opportunity for Tui. Mike, talk to me about this from a farming perspective. I know that that yourself and your family have always um, been really at the forefront in terms of sort of farming methods and mentality. So what does what are some of the insights that you've got? Insights come from, uh, I think, just, uh, you know, looking around and see what, what, what's happening, the, uh, the world around you, for a better term. If, if you look at um, not just the Nagorkas but a number of people, everyone can be a farmer. But yeah. <laughs> when it comes to a point of those that are ahead of the game, innovative and leading it, they are the ones that you watch. They are the trendsetters. It's no different to grain beaters and so forth, all trying new trends. And there's many different things that you can find out, as Tony and Pete mentioned earlier, as far as anything that's new. We're growing some new oil crops here at the moment that have never been grown in Australia. And now we're only finding out all their uses. So, I mean, to use that as a cooking oil and in any different thing you can use, it's just been unheard of. And that only comes about from, can we grow it here? What seasons uh, uh, or what climate do you need to grow all those new types of things? And, And even some of the existing crops that people grow, we're talking about scale and so forth, when you clean grain and, 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 and you grade it to whatever it's got to be, sure, all of the best of your oats is going to go into a breakfast cereal. What do you do with the latter? Uh, that can go into any beverage. There's so many uses that you can do, and there's a lot of people out there uh, that are just looking for those avenues. It's, it's remarkable what's on your back doorstep and, and, and people don't know about. And a lot of that only came about from when we hired a, uh, a scientist and we've got eight years' worth of uh, IP there just ready to pounce that we can share with the world and the rest of the, um, you know, growers around Australia. And it doesn't matter whether it's fruit or veg or whatever. Um, it's amazing the uses now that are coming out, especially in um, all of your natural health products, whether it be food and drink. Um, they both play a huge role. All of the process that we do – you can have both of those commodities out of the one product. It's amazing. Okay, you three, 
Where to from here? It's rolling out. You're looking at 15 farms in, you know, the next couple of years. It's hopefully extending over and the model's going to be implemented in countries around the world. What else? Are you going to have a bit of a lie down? What's happening? Yeah, interesting, interesting point. I kind of guess from my perspective, Kim, there's a there's, there's a couple of different things that are really important to me. Uh, I think from a TUI perspective, as no matter how big that we actually grow to, I think staying true to our core values and culture is something that we I want to ensure that we maintain. I think that's really, really in, in, important for us. And you know, be, between the three of us, myself, Peter, and Mike, we've come up with a list of BHAGs. Actually, does anyone everyone know what a BHAG is? I don't know is? what a BHAG is. It's a big, big hairy, hairy, audacious. Oh goal. yes, I do know what a BHAG oh. is. Okay, yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so obviously, just in terms of staying true to to our BHAGs, and you know, we're we're looking at having sales over two hundred million over the next five years, generating a sixty million EBIT. Uh, we certainly want to be carbon neutral across as many of our farm gate facilities as possible to be the largest supplier of Australian food ingredients to the food industry across the world. Uh, Peter, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think as well, it's, it's just about controlling the, the, the scaling process and the growth. So it's about being very accurate in what we produce at the first uh, facility up on up on the farm, um, and that's happening now. We've started doing a lot of trials and commissioning on equipment. Um, the oat milk syrup uh, facility is almost completed, ready for commissioning in the next few weeks. That's very exciting. So it's it's there are so many moving targets um, driven by demand from this that really the 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 key is going to be the, what what we need to unlock is. Again, it comes back to where's the best soil in Australia that we can grow these various ingredients and then what do we convert it into to get the highest value for that, that, that supply chain or for that customer. Um, yeah, so th- that's actually the exciting bit is, is what's, what's around the corner. I mean, um, yeah, we'd like, to, we'd like to look into the crystal ball, but I think if we did that 12 months ago, even we would have seen significant changes in that. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this started as, a, hey, what, wouldn't it be cool if we could replace important ingredients for Australian manufacturers? And Tony picked it up and, hey, wouldn't this be cool if we could take Australian ingredients to the rest of the world? And, you know, Mike then took it to the next level. Wouldn't it be cool if we could grow this on farms all across Australia and, uh, and build a, what we call Area 51 up in Hamilton? That, uh, that we're doing some really cool stuff up there and um, yeah, really, really blessed to have you know, these two amazing humans on board and, and the people around us are, are what's going to make it successful. And I think to add to that, Pete, it's quite overwhelming when you, before you even get into the launch of the opening of the facility, that you've got global people wanting such produce, you know, quality produce, and it's just, you know, uh, it's quite humbling that, I think that tells us that we're all on the right track and everyone's wanting to come on board. So I, I just can't make it happen quick enough. <laughs> That's the best. And I think that, that is the best. That's the best. What do you think about that, Grant? I think that was pretty amazing. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing about this uh, system growing and the model expanding and, and the world changing. I would like to thank the three of you, Mike, Tony, Peter, for coming on today and uh, for talking to me over recent weeks when we were pulling together the article. And it's truly exciting and inspirational. And I congratulate you guys on 
getting it up and off the ground, particularly in light of a lot of the hiccups that have come um, come our way in the recent years. Uh, it's just so exciting to see. So thank you very much for sharing your uh, story and the details about it. And we'll definitely be catching up down the track. Thank you, Kim. Thank awesome. you, Kim. Thanks, Kim. Well, thanks, gents. Thanks, Kim. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.